Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. Welcome to another beautiful summer in Wisconsin. We have our full panel here, which means Robert Craig is with us. He's got his University of Minnesota Duluth shirt on. He's ready to go, folks. Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good morning, everyone. And Rebecca Lynch with the Wisconsin Working Families Party is with us. Rebecca, good to see you. Good to be here, Matt. All right. So we have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about Foxconn. We're going to follow up, talk some more about what's been going on with uh, guns and uh, the discussion here, particularly within the state. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about our governor and what he's going to do, what he's suggesting he may do around that. Uh, but we're also going to talk about uh, Kamala Harris for president, uh, continuing our discussion of Democratic presidential candidates. But I wanted to get started with Foxconn because there was some news that broke yesterday that state officials, uh, that would be both uh, leaders within the assembly and also Governor Evers met with Foxconn uh, yesterday, which would be Wednesday, uh, we record Thursday morning, uh, to, to discuss the current plan. The details, there do doesn't appear to be a lot, but before I kick it to uh, Rebecca for her thoughts, um, this is in the context of new research and reports that have been released. Uh, one that was actually commissioned by the state that tried to look at were there ways to restructure uh, this to get a better deal, to make it better for everyone involved. And um, those reports pretty much found that <laughs> we're going to be taking a bath no matter what happens. Um, but, Rebecca, the shine is off all of this. There's no more, like, people trying to defend that somehow there's going to be 13,000 jobs anymore. At least I haven't. I, I didn't see any. Um, we're kind of getting down to the reality. This is going to be about 1,800 jobs, mostly researcher-type jobs. Maybe. Maybe, yes. So, Rebecca, your thoughts on the latest news this week, and um, can Evers and company find a new deal? <laughs> I, that's an interesting point. You know, I hadn't, it wouldn't be the podcast if we aren't talking about Foxconn at least once a month. Now exactly. it used to be every week. But um, I hadn't really thought about how there aren't folks out there trying to really defend Foxconn as something that's going to bring in all these jobs anymore. It's just kind of quietly gone away. And I think that's interesting for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons I think is because maybe the media has allowed it to go away. I don't know. It just seems like every. If there's not a drumbeat holding folks accountable, then they can just kind of moonwalk away from this in this deal entirely. I don't know. Well, we do know what the talking point's going to be for Mr. Voss and Fitzgerald, which is as the plan fails, it's all Tony Evers' fault. Yeah. And, it, and they destroyed the wonderful environment. It was going to be great when Walker was our governor. And so, and just hold our ears, our hands over our ears, or have an ostrich stance when it comes to any of the research, which was all available at the time they took this vote, and which included all the major business leaders in the state, including the major leaders of WMC, who are also in the news this week that we'll talk about later. We'll talk more about that, Robert. But let's put it this way. Economic development is, mo is one of the most sleazy uh, enterprises in this country at the local level and the state level. It's... $70 billion plus in giveaways to corporations where we're bidding against ourselves for their wonderful, their, their beneficence and their presence and the jobs that they uh, are supposed to create. Uh, there isn't a lot of accountability. And this is six to ten times more per job 
according to the Upjohn Institute, which is one of the top researchers on this, than is standard in an already kind of lowbrow kind of economic activity that we need to move away from, because we could get a lot more jobs than standard record development for the same public money without these corporate giveaways and them playing one state, one city off another, like Amazon tried to do with its corporate headquarters, right? And the folk, good folks in New York raised up against, though some New Yorkers were in favor, just like we have with Foxconn. And so, you know, it's going to be a poster child for the disaster of kind of the whole neoliberal, corporatist, Republican, and some Democratic, some Democrats are on board for these things, including now, agenda. And so it's awful. Uh, Walker did it to try to be reelected. It's probably go might go away if Trump is not reelected. There are some observers who think that uh, Foxconn is keeping it there just to keep Trump happy. And of course, if Trump is not president, then perhaps it goes away altogether rather than the fall back to 1800 jobs. Yeah, I want to, for, for our listeners, I want to flag um, a Wisconsin public radio interview with the researcher from Upjohn. It's fabulous. <laughs> it actually has, you know, researchers are great because they're usually very dry and they like to try to stay above the political fray. Uh, but the interview gets started with sort of like, well, you know what, what, what? drew you all to be interested in this and he's just kind of like uh me and all my friends who's economists who study this across the country are been following this since day one because it was completely outside the parameters of what's normal right like just kind of like are you kidding me this is sort of the national uh, poster child for how to do bad development um but he then gets into just the data that Robert you started to and present I, of just how awful this is, and that and that there aren't really a lot of good options to like try to make it better. This it's going to be a big price ticket per job, no matter how this shakes out. And I know I've said this too often on Battleground Wisconsin. I can't get over it. I waited the twelve hours to testify against it. These kind of facts were available at that time but just sat there for hours with the invited speakers, a steady stream of every significant business leader in this state and education leader, like the head of the UW system, everyone you could imagine all saying this is just going to be wonderful and great. And uh, I able, was able to give enough of a rant against it to ha get a viral video because, you know, I was one of, the, one of only a handful of speakers that were at the end that actually gave any objective facts. But here's the thing. We can blame Walker. He's gone. Uh, Fitzgerald and Voss need to be gone, but are not. Uh, but at the end of the day, these same business leaders are constantly quoted as the experts in how to run our economy, and they're not. They're essentially organized for giant business subsidies, the bigger the better, period. So, you know, it's very interesting when you're thinking about Foxconn, and Rebecca, you brought up, we talk about this a lot. Um, there's a topic I'm hoping we can talk, continue to talk about more over the next year and coming years, and that's actually an industry that we ought to be investing in, and that's the legalization of marijuana, right? And what that could do, not only for jobs, it would create over 10,000 jobs, but what it would do around uh, trying to deal with incarceration issues. Um, but yet, there's virtually nothing, and that doesn't cost the state a damn thing, right? Like, Because it saves money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the amount of revenue it could produce, and yet there's virtually, there's zero movement amongst amongst Republicans for legalization. Uh, but that is an industry that state. we're... Yeah, well, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Yeah, but yet we've got this Foxconn, complete boondoggle, um, and there's there's no movement on an industry that's booming 
now it's going to start in states around us. So I think, Rebecca, we're, we're kind of like in the running for the most retrograde Republicans in the country, which is really also a very high bar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting because to your point, not only was Foxconn like a boondoggle for all the reasons we said, but there's also an opportunity cost, like all yes. of the time and energy and resources that went into talking about and debating Foxconn, this deal that we all knew was never going to happen. And then here you go. It's really not happening. Could have been spent actually making good faith efforts to figure out how to get people in Racine and other parts of the state jobs. And that didn't happen. So here we are. It's funny. The Economist actually brought up some of the quote opportunity costs a little bit more specifically quantified, but not the n- not even the one you mentioned, just the time and energy of like our electeds and intellectual people putting time into this, right? Yeah, and our legislators. And the draining of every economic development resource the whole area of Racine County and Racine City has. So before we go to break, I actually want to bring up and have a quick conversation on the other piece here, and that's the WMC, okay? Uh, The WMC had a conference this week, and a number of leaders went before it, uh, including Governor Tony Evers. And um, there was an article written by Matthew Rothschild that was uh, quite critical of of Governor Evers' comments. Um, And I just wanted to get get both of your comments on it because... You know, it's with all due respect to the governor, right? It's really calling out just how awful the chamber, the WMC, has been on a lot of the policies, the economic stuff, but then specifically the budget, the fights we've gone through, the amount of money that they put into the elections to try to have Evers, and that he comes in and talks to them as if they're in some kind of partnership to help the people of Wisconsin. Yeah, I actually don't see the governor addressing the people he's really in partnership with and giving them this amount of cred, frankly. And so Matt Rothschild, kudos to him for saying this because he, uh, he, he's the independent person, head of the Wisconsin Democracy campaign, and it just speaks truth to power. And this is the WMC of the people who took over the right-wing Supreme Court that was behind Walker's career, that was behind Act 10, and was behind all of the mining legislation, was the huge corporate tax giveaway that's defunded the state, uh, the Man-Ag tax credit. That was their biggest ask in addition to Act 10. And they run sleazy, awful ads you see on TV, and they ran them against Tony Evers, and here he is pretending that they're friends, and here is he is describing the budget process as bipartisan. Well, if bipartisan means the governor and the legislature both exercise their power, then I guess it's bipartisan. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, it's a really interesting strategy that we could talk about maybe in the next segment. We'll continue to talk more. Well, why don't we just quick take a break, and then when we come back, Rebecca, we're going to get your thoughts that you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about uh, Governor Evers, the Chamber of Commerce. He spoke to the Chamber uh, earlier this week, and quite frankly, tried to talk about them as if they're friends when the reality is Robert laid out right before break. Uh, they're anything but. And Rebecca, you were about to make some comments. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of insight. It's interesting. I think it's clear that the governor and his administration would like to really um, push um, from their pulpit this narrative that Governor Evers is kind of in the trenches, sleeves rolled up, doing bipartisan lawmaking with Republicans, which we know isn't true. Of course, they know it's not true, right? Republicans are not negotiating good faith at all with the new Democratic governor. But for some reason, he really, really wants the the public to think that and is using the power of his position to to 
try to push that narrative. And I think that's that's interesting, and I, I wonder why. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. and Because it's what he wants, and it's, I mean, he. we've talked about this before. The guy is a legitimate civil servant who wants to believe the best in everyone, but the reality is, like, this is, it's not happening, and, and no one really believes we're engaged in some sort of bipartisan process here, and the budget process was anything but that, right? So it's like, it's just sort of weird, right? Like, he can say that he would like to and continues to strive to, but it just, when you read it, you're like, really? I mean, I, I guess, you know, I, I to, to <laughs> take the governor's side, yeah, yeah. I can see how he's in a tough position, right? Because yeah. he is the you know the executive of our state he is new he is relatively untested uh in in leading something as large as a state he's a democrat so there's like an additional pressure and bias against you that you can run a large operation run a state and so like there's often you know i i you see this all over the place with with mayors and governors but when democrats are elected particularly after a long time of republicans being in office there's this additional pressure to show competence and like the ability to like keep the trains running on time and so i think i think that probably is part of it um and i don't and you know like just like just like acknowledging that um that that is like uh an obstacle in the public eye like making sure that you seem like you're the adult in the room i mean what because what are his options that he's gonna like throw a tantrum and be like no you guys are the bad guys and then they're all pointing <laughs> fingers at each other and then the general public says oh politicians can't get anything done i don't really want to vote democrats and republicans are all the same so <laughs> you're both right but i'm going to add something <laughs> uh you're both right that this is the politics Governor Evers wants to exist, and so he's kind of expressing the world the way he wants the world to work, right? And if he had Tommy Thompson's or Lee Sherman Dreyfus's, that is, more moderate Republicans of the past running the legislature, he probably could have done a lot of business with them. So that's part of it. I think Rebecca's totally right that a governor is judged by making things work. It's different than being a senator. Uh, or a congressman who doesn't, yep. or, or congresswoman that doesn't actually right. run something. Okay, so there's total truth in that. On the other hand, I think there's another way to approach this. Okay, even assuming Governor Evers's intentions here, and I would have different intentions, but you know, I come from a different part of the party and with, from a different ideological perspective than Governor Evers. There's nothing that doesn't make it bad. I'm just describing. But and by the way, this administration does not ask me for messaging advice. That's my disclaimer. But why couldn't he say, come in here and say that I tried to be bipartisan, here are the things I did that are pro-business that you should have liked, right? Like huge uh, amounts of subsidies for the hospitals were in his original budget, for example. I'm sure there's a longer list, right, of things that he did. And then I was met with complete, you know, complete, uh, basically, um, a completely partisan ideological perspective take, take uh, you know, take no prisoners, winner take all kind of mentality from the people that you have put in office and also supported by the tone of your ads, et cetera. So I'm looking for a middle ground where he says, I'm still here to have a partnership with you and get over the past, but we've got to get over the way Mr. Voss and, and, uh, and Fitzgerald and the other folks that you have supported for election are acting and what they're doing to the state and it actually harms business. But it, it's not a, so not a complete Jeremiah against them, but some both combination of olive branch and some real reality as to who WMC is and what nefarious role it has played in, in, in our state. I mean, maybe the governor and his administration think that 
they can look it, it's different than under governor walker because like voss and fitzgerald can only do so much and obviously they're doing quite a lot and like with a loaded uh illegitimate state supreme court um that's that's aided significantly created by wmc right so so you know it's not like they're completely defanged but it's different and i think that they are gonna have to if if the wmc's uh if if as much of the WMC's agenda can be realized as possible, it's going to require them to like probably like work with the Evers administration somewhat. And so he goes to them and says, "I want to work with you to make Wisconsin business friendly, business friendly, right? And like I want to do things that are on your, on your agenda with with these guys. If if we could all work together and like and like we are working together. I mean, I I think like." Except they won't. Yeah. They'll take anything he gives them and then still try to destroy him. Because that's Fitzgerald and Voss are ciphers. They're just representing uh, the real power, which is WMC and other right-wing sources, period. So it does remind me of, and brilliant people do this, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama's misplaced belief that they could be bipartisan. They had lots of corporate support. And they were friends with the Republicans, and they would figure out how to do it. And then they learned who the opposition is and what they're really like. And I hope Coney Evers knows that, and, is, and this is just a rhetorical ploy, but if he actually believes they're going to start working with well, him in good faith, then he's deluded and he's risking his whole governorship. Well, let me, let's change the topic to something that might show that he gets that <laughs> we're not truly in bipartisanship, and that is um, this looks like Governor Evers says it's possible he could call a special session on, on, on guns, um, which has been, you know, this last week has been surreal just to see the complete intransigence on state-level Republicans here. And I think this would be very wise to actually call a special session. It's due. Um, and just, because there's no, this isn't getting any better. Um, there, the Republicans' display went uh, Tuesday um, was appalling, where they basically admitted they have absolute leadership. Um, Fitzgerald, they admitted they had nothing; they had no solutions to offer. They couldn't figure out what to do. Even more embarrassingly, shamefully, Senator Dan Fan tried to tell them to turn the cameras off and stop the interview. Right, like, these folks have nothing. They don't have solutions. We need solutions. And so uh, I really hope he follows through and, and does call a special session because we need to be talking about this issue. This is a absolute, I mean, the public is completely ahead of where, where these Republicans and these politicians are on this. We, this. This would tell me he gets there's some politics going on. But also, we need to solve this, uh, try to get something through. I, it's not going to happen, but Rebecca. I mean, maybe something will happen. I mean, I think, I think it's important for this to be one of the first things. I mean, the the timing of what's happening right now makes it a particularly good moment to you know repush the conversation. But it's also still pretty early in his administration, and I think for him to say like, you know, before the first six months, been more than six months before the first year was up, I presented like a pretty robust 
you know, package of, of what we should do on, on reforming, on, on safety. It was, right? in the, it was in his budget. Right. With right. some of the stuff he wants to do. Yeah. And they took it out. Yes. And now he wants to have a special session just to stand alone. Well, and he wants to, of course, he wants to look at how you could, um, to go after and keeping firearms out of people, the red flag stuff. Yeah. I know he also, he definitely, I'm sure, wants to talk about uh, background checks. But, like, red flag is the one thing it seems like if you were to really push them and put them in a completely terrible spot that maybe you could get. Except uh, for, you're not getting background checks. Except I for mean, Ron Johnson, getting, yeah. who's already raised uh, constitutional concerns about red flag laws. Uh, I put those in. Yeah, I hope everyone right, heard the, con- right, heard the yeah. co- sarcasm. Interesting constitution. Uh, so, well, yes, it's the Ron Johnson constitution. <laughs> so... I support any sign of fight from Governor Evers, and I hope it's not just a sign, since he told us he was going to fight like hell on Medicaid expansion. He's still pushing it, but I want to see more fight, right? Even more. He's the governor. He has the bully pulpit, and he, and he can do a lot more. Uh, do a lot more. Uh, he needs to step into the role. He's new. And so I, I, hope, he, I hope it's not he isn't just floating. I hope he does it yes. because the Republicans are standing against public opinion and public safety. And making them stand in special session is crucial. And even their, like, dodge issues where they say, we should have more mental health funding. Okay, let's have more mental health funding. Pass it. Uh, but let's understand that uh, two-thirds of, uh, of mass shooters do not have diagnosed mental health issues and that mentally ill people are more likely to be the victims of violence than the perpetrators of it. So let's cut against the stigma. But should we have more mental health funding for actual access to mental services? Absolutely. So make them vote on that. Make them vote on red flag. Make them vote on background checks. And don't let them get away with this. And, uh, w- and, but don't just say, oh, they're doing their best and walk away, which would be the WMC rhetorical approach we talked about earlier in the segment. Yeah, I'm just going to close. I'm going to get crassly political. But the reality is this is an 80-20 issue. This is an issue that could, ap- I mean, geez, w- could no destroy downside. them, hurts them tremendously in some of the areas where like the suburbs that they're 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 starting to hemorrhage uh, the last couple cycles but we got to take a break with that we're citizen action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org you're listening to the battleground wisconsin welcome back to the battleground wisconsin we're citizen action we uh we we need to keep talking a little bit more about uh, a topic we talked about last week and that is uh, jimmy anderson and his effort to get the ability to phone into committee hearings. Um, there may be <laughs> there may be some movement as we record this morning. Uh, yesterday, uh, Wednesday, uh, no Republicans had signed on to Jimmy Anderson's letter urging Speaker Voss, Boss Voss, to allow him to call in uh, when necessary into committee hearings, which is incredibly disappointing. Um, Representative Anderson has suggested that he is likely to follow through with the lawsuit. Uh, before we started recording this morning, uh, Boss Voss uh, had an opportunity to appear on right-wing uh, radio, WTMJ, and um, uh, says that he uh, might he's likely to make some accommodations, but would has made made no clarity for what this is. So maybe maybe but um this is kind of crazy this is really crazy especially since the senate allows these kinds of accommodations uh, you know other than just sheer power it's just shocking to me and i'm just shocked just shocked that no republican would sign on to this just you know it just tells you how 
powerful leadership is. This is surreal. Thoughts? Well, I'll just jump in. It's revealing of who Robin Voss is. This is how he acted in the budget. This is how he's going to act as speaker with an illegitimate majority because he has 63 to 36 vote majority when the Democrats won in a landslide and the assembly popular vote because of the rigged maps. And he wants to be our governor. I mean, this guy is way more stubborn than Scott Walker, which is really saying something. And it's the old George Lakoff theory of, of conservatism, the strict father. He is the strict father, and he decides, and he says no. And the problem is he's also not as smart as he thinks he is. So this is not the issue to fight on. He should have accommodated right away, and it wouldn't be an issue. And once it became an issue, he should have retreated quickly. But that's not in his DNA, is it? Uh, so the only advantage here is it's helping us advance the important issue, because there are a lot of businesses and workplaces that need this, uh, the important issue of accommodating all people with disabilities, which does not mean changing the rules. To uh, you're not, We're not asking that Jimmy Anderson not have to fulfill his duties as a state representative, which he's very qualified to fulfill. He's a very good lawmaker, right? It's simply we need to not have rules that stand in the way of him fully participating. Really simple, hard stop. Yeah, I mean, and there are lots of people, like you said, it's not just about Anderson. You know, yeah. I think there are, I can imagine many scenarios in which lawmakers might not be able to physically show up, but would be able to call in. I mean, women who have like relatively recently given birth, right? I mean, there's just like so many ways in which like this would be helpful to encourage like full participation of legislators who are representing all these people but i mean to your point about how no republicans signed on i mean it's just a very disciplined caucus and organized and there's like a clear strategy and when you do see people kind of veer off on an issue i'm sure that they have been given permission to do that in order to keep their seat and, and there are two reasons like as rebecca's point about the disciplined caucus look at dis 60 they don't all agree right but they tend more to agree than a normal caucus because the right-wing conspiracy that WMC is at the head of, where it's WMC Week on Battleground Wisconsin, has picked people who would not stray. So these are hardline ideological right-wingers as a group, right? Even given that, this is shocking, right? Uh, but then in addition, since Voss has a super Ill illegitimate supermajority, 63 out of 99 assembly uh, seats, uh, they know that parting with Voss will damage them. And so there he has complete control as much as any boss in a big city ever had in the bad old days of ward politics. So before we uh, move on to talking about all things presidential primary, um, I do want to mention a lawsuit that it looks like is going to occur with uh, between Clean Wisconsin and a number of other uh, environmental groups. Uh, they're going to be suing the EPA over the coal power rule. That would be the Trump administration <laughs> EPA. <laughs> it is definitely worth pointing out it is the Trump administ uh, administration. Uh, so there's, uh, they're, they're among 10 organizations that uh, filed suit uh, Wednesday. Uh, essentially, uh, what happened is they're trying to block the administration's effort uh, to ease carbon emission limits. Um, and so... This is uh, obviously uh, the, the, the legal case, or the, the legal strategy is about the only place for them to go right now, but very important. Uh, I think folks know we're, we care very much about this issue. Uh, we all do, it's critical. But we just wanted to make folks aware that that is happening. 
I want to, however, move topics. I want us to spend some uh, save time what we have in this segment, but then whole next segment. Um, we're going to talk about Democratic presidential primary. But first, before we get to um, Kamala Harris, I wanted to give you an opportunity to update us on how the Working Families Party uh, interview with Elizabeth Warren went, right? I think we had one on, on uh, Tuesday night, right? Mm -hmm. So tell us how it's going and remind folks uh, how they can get involved. It was it was really interesting. Uh, did either of you get a chance to I watch was unfortunately it? still working uh, and did not, but that's why I asked. I, I'm very curious, and I knew I was going to see you today. It was really interesting. I think um, it was our first one, so we the tech was a little messed up. We started five minutes late, so thanks for everyone who's patient. That's it? Only five minutes? It was that's, good, right? I was gonna say, That's I pretty good. Um, I, I owe Buzz Noise a beer because we didn't start on time, but there were a couple watch parties throughout Milwaukee. I know people were kind of watching elsewhere in the state, too, and it was cool. If you're a member of the Working Families Party, you can watch on Crowdcast and interact with other people, which I really liked. You get to, like, submit questions, vote on questions um, that other people have submitted. Uh, but yeah, otherwise it's live streamed to the public on Facebook, YouTube. Anyway, um, it was good. Uh, Maurice Mitchell, who's our national executive director, moderated that one. Um, we had some interesting questions. I actually had, I think, higher hopes for Senator Warren's performance than what w had borne out. She, I mean, she's obviously amazing and was great in a lot of ways. Um, she was asked a question about her plan in, for Israel-Palestine, and she didn't really offer a plan. For someone who has such robust plans, I felt like the answer was like kind of just like talking points. Interesting. So mm. that was a little That's a tough one, though, as far as walking a political <laughs> tightrope. <laughs> and, you know, we do have Jared Kushner's plans. No, just kidding. Oh, wow. You know, I, I, and I think that's something, actually, that Bernie has been really strong on. And I think Warren has been moving a little bit um, to the left over time, but has, like, a traditionally hawkish kind of stance. And, like, has some some other relatively hawkish stances. But anyway, so, so that answer, I, I didn't have as much substance as I was looking forward to getting. Um, then there was a question about the uh, Maurice, our national ED, asked a question about the 94 crime bill. And they actually made news. I, on, I think the Daily Beast ran an article about it. But, you know, she talked about how parts of it need to be repealed. Um, so it needs to be changed. It needs to be uh, repealed. It needs to be, I think she said, replaced or something like that. But um, so that made news and was great. Uh, and obviously looking forward to, like, more detail on that. And um, we'll see what Vice President Biden has to say about that. We'll see, yeah. And then we had um, a member of the Working Families Party who's an indigenous activist ask her, about what she's going to do um, for indigenous communities, just given all of the history there, just yeah. throughout the course of this campaign, and you know, she, she gave a, she a decent answer. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, as strong like a deconstruction of what's gone wrong that I think she could have given. But she was like, listen, like, you, I gotta, sh you gotta show up, um, and you have to pair your positions with real investment. And she said something like, "It's about show, not tell." Anyway, anyone who wants to watch it can. It's on the Facebook. Um, and then we are taping on a Thursday. Yep. This will come out, I think, Thursday night or Friday. But tonight, Thursday night, is the Julian Castro one. Folks can watch that. Saturday is Bernie, um, so you can watch that live or after the fact. And then Sunday is De Blasio. And then next Thursday and Friday is Kamala Harris and then Cory Booker. And we'll have all these on our, uh, our web page. Uh, in fact, you could find the first three on last week's. But I want to remind folks, too, you can, if you're in Milwaukee, you can, you can watch uh, the Bernie Sanders at Bounce or Art Bar, too. Is Vice President Biden scheduled? He's not in our process. 
Oh, okay. yeah, we only have six candidates, so those are the six. What what I like about these is that we get a full hour with the candidate, so like we're able to like really ask them about issues that don't come up in the debate and kind of dig in. So it's cool. It so there was a criterion to get in and all of that to the process. How'd you figure there that was. out? I'm just educating yes. our listeners. I know I'm asking <laughs> leading questions, <laughs> 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 perhaps uh, 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 clumsily. <laughs> I get a lot of I get a lot of angry messages from Tulsi supporters, but Tulsi is also not in the in the running here. So, but uh, folks, please try to uh, go watch these. I'm certainly going to go back and watch the the Warren one. I'm 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 excited to hear more from Castro. I'm I'm actually very interested and intrigued and and think he's very interesting. Um, anyway, so please listen to them, and also we'll remind folks we'll have more information next week about uh, our event that we'll be doing with People's Action in Iowa on September 21st. But with that, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to dive into and spend a, a whole section talking about Kamala Harris and her efforts for the Democratic presidential primary in our, I guess you could say, uh, year-long effort to work our way <laughs> through all the Democratic candidates. So you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome to our favorite time. That is a chance to dive in on our Democratic presidential candidates. And this week, Senator Kamala Harris. So who would like to start first? We are talking about somebody who I think a lot of Americans maybe did not know a ton about. She definitely really stepped up in the first debate and got a huge amount of public attention and has really sort of catapulted her into the mix, the main mix. Uh, you could argue she's one of the top sort of fielding candidates. Polling-wise, Robert, I know you're... Uh, our favorite pollster out there. Um, she's still, like many of the other candidates, right, struggling to get oxygen to go deal with Biden, who continues to run away. But we're still talking about someone who's just right there behind uh, uh, Warren, Sanders, and She's and, and basically in a so, clump with yeah. Warren and, and Sanders and then Mayor Pete after that. So she's definitely in the top four, I would say. Yeah, should we should we start? But let's by, yeah. dive into some more historical, which uh, wh where we're going to you. So, give us a little more background, and then let's start to dive into a little bit about like really what she's about, what she stands for. Totally. Yeah. Um, so I'll, maybe I'll just start with some of the biographical stuff that I know uh, about Kamala Harris, and then anything that you think I missed that's really important, um, weigh in. But you know, one of the defining things about her is that she is a lawyer. Um, that has, like, defined her career. She's also been a public servant, folks could say. Um, and in, in both of those things, she's been the first in almost everything she's done. So she was she started her uh, legal career prosecuting sex crime. She ended up becoming the first woman, and I think also the first person of color, to be elected uh, DA of San Francisco. She went on to be Attorney General of California, um, otherwise known as the top cop of the state, uh, Which is itself bigger than most many nations. It's a nation state almost. California. Oh, totally. Yeah. Huge, huge. Um, and, and of course, is a U.S. senator. Not the first woman of color to be elected U.S. senator in California, but the second. And the first um, South Asian woman, as folks know, she's of um, both Indian and Jamaican descent. Um, the daughter of immigrants. Uh, her parents, uh, kind of like a really lovely origin story, met at UC Berkeley, they were both um, active in the civil rights movement. 
um, she, you know, ended up being, you know, born and raised in the Bay Area. Uh, I believe she went to Howard undergrad, and I'm forgetting now where she went to law school. Um, but so those are like just like some basic biographical facts. Um, she's married, um, doesn't have any kids, I don't think. Um, kind of great that I don't actually know that for sure. But um, I do know she's married because I believe her husband is Jewish, and I've seen her imitate her husband's in-laws um, on TV, and it's very funny. And so I highly recommend Googling that if you haven't seen it. But she has a great impression of her mother-in-law um, saying something along the lines of, oh, you're much prettier in person. So it's, like, very funny. But um, seems to have, like, this really, uh, like, wonderful and loving marriage. I think her husband might have, like, a Twitter handle or something that's, like, Kamala's hubby, but is, like, very active in the campaign and supportive. Um, and so those are, like kind of like the warm and fuzzy like basic biographical things I have about her I don't know Robert did I miss anything you think is really important to note before we kind of dive into the issues yeah not biographical maybe his uh, uh her career right there, she's probably running in one of the first elections where it's not a necessarily all positive to be a prosecutor uh, for all too long, as mass incarceration has increased, that was always a good thing. Now it is more of a mixed thing, which is interesting, right? Uh, she also kind of historically has a, a a record that's hard to get your hands around because she has a record of being very bold on things, but she also has a record of being cautious and retreating or of being more centrist on things. And in the bank scandal, when she was attorney general, and we had a lot of bankers who should have gone to jail because they shredded our basic laws of this country and our and, and the basic uh, and basic property law in this country, and committed mat the largest fraud arguably in world history, she started being very cautious. Then she was pushed by advocates so hard she became an advocate for really cracking down and prosecuting uh, the big banks in Wall Street. And at the end, she was stood down by Obama and signed off on a really bad deal that signed away all their liability. And so, but she was like one of the, the last major holdout. So it's sort of, so I'm not trying to attack her, I'm saying it's really interesting how she both can be very cautious and very bold. She started out being for Medicare for All, we'll get to her healthcare plan, now she's for something else related to Medicare for All, but still much bolder than anything someone like Joe Biden would propose. So I'm just saying, She's harder to get your hands around ideologically than a Bernie um, or a, a, an Elizabeth or a Joe Biden. Yeah, I think that's right. I think she's a really, really interesting candidate. She is super talented, incredibly smart, uh, is um, really positioning herself well in this election. I mean, I look at her and I look at some of the other candidates in the race who seemingly um, are on equal footing with her in some ways, right? I mean, we have Senator Cory Booker uh, in New Jersey, a fellow senator, someone who's, you know, gotten headlines with the way he's gone after the Trump administration and Senate hearings has been around for a while. Um, there are certainly other candidates in the race, too, Amy Klobuchar. I mean, she is really pulled away from that pack. So whereas, you know, in polling, which is like not the most important thing right now, um, where we are in the race, you know, she's not quite in in the league of, say, a Biden or a Sanders at this moment in time, but she's pulled away from a lot of the other uh, members of the pack, and I think that's really interesting. And I think when I think, and one of the things I like to think about um, in observing what's happening right now and participating in what's happening right now at the Democratic primary for 2020 is the reverse, the Republican primary in 2016, 
And, you know, remember, Marco Rubio was this rising star. And then he said the same thing about President Obama three times in a debate right before I think it was Iowa. And that ended up really like harming his chances to be successful. There are other things, too. But the point I'm trying to make is that if you have someone super smart, super talented, super well positioned, like doing what she needs to be doing right now, by the time we get to those early primary states, there's an opportunity to further distinguish herself, particularly in debates where she performs well as someone who's a practice lawyer. I don't know. What do you think? She's performed well in the back and forth of debates, both taking on Joe Biden quite courageously, because that was a big risk on, uh, on busing, and then on health care and her health care plan in the last debate, where she went, went back and forth multiple times with the vice president, the former vice president. And so if I want to call out the bold issues just quickly, because we're going to run out of time. Look, she's super bold on teacher pay, which is a huge issue. She wants to raise teacher pay $13,500 with federal money and get the average pay of these professionals who are underpaid, mostly because it's a woman profession. We underpay women professions because of the legacy of sexism, over 50000 on average um, in every state which is just fantastic, right? That's very bold. She seems to be bold on Green New Deal, but she has a history of signing on to very bold bills and then qualifying. So I don't know how far she wants to go, really, uh, whether she wants to go as far as the Green New Deal, but she signed on, which is a good sign. Uh, she was for Medicare for all, but now she's really not. And so that's what she had the big debate with Biden about. But what she's proposing is, way, is, real, is big structural reform and it is way more universal, it is universal than anything we have now. It is a huge quantum leap over the Affordable Care Act in its current state and is well beyond anything uh, Vice President Biden wants to run on, and that's what their debate was. Uh, but because she's got very concerned about this issue of people liking their private insurance, which is probably a red herring, right? I don't know who really loves their insurance company. Uh, she's uh, proposed a Medicare for all that is Medicare and Medicare Advantage together with the private health insurance plans, and that's more expensive, and they are currently abusing Medicare Advantage because insurance companies are just there to make money in a number of ways. And actually, the downside would be, the harsh critique from the left would be that she creates essentially military-industrial contractor kind of situation where you put big for-profit corporations in the middle of the system and they start to dominate it and take it over, and we give them guaranteed public subsidies. But having said that, it is guaranteed universal health care. So that's what makes her interesting. I want to point out that it's way beyond what Vice President Biden is suggesting, but there are real concerns about how, how it would be structured and the role of private insurance companies to ultimately co-opt and take over and, and, and move the system to, to different purposes. Yeah, you know, she's running on what she calls like her 3 a.m. agenda, which is like the things that keep us up at night. Um, whether it's like healthcare, money, so kind of like these bread and butter issues. And I've heard her talk actually many times now about potholes, interestingly enough, for someone running for president. But um, th th that's the kind of campaign she's running. And I'm really interested in learning more about her core values and ideology because I don't know what they are. Um, I think that like one of the positive, the positive spin on kind of what you laid out is that she's movable and someone who, who can succumb to public pressure. Um, but I, I don't know what drives her. And I think you mentioned, and we don't have time to dive into it now, but you mentioned her history as a prosecutor and whether it was saying that she would prosecute parents of truant um, students, whether she saying she would turn over undocumented youth to ICE, um, you know, her, her relationship, her cozy relationship with uh, the police and police unions, like, and that's kind of gone back, as for, back and forth as well. But, you know, the, it, her, her past shows that maybe 
her core values don't meet the moment, but like that she's movable. I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, a very prominent progressive national leader, I won't, I would not name because it's a, it was a private conversation, told me a couple weeks ago that Kamala is movable by us, in other words, by progressives. And that means that she might not just be there, and it'd be easier if Bernie or Elizabeth was president, but there's a very small number of presidential candidates that are movable by us at all. Joe Biden is not movable totally, by us. Totally. And so that, that's important to consider uh, when, we, when we think about a candidate. Uh, but of course, it's more work. So with that, though, I'm going to have to wrap up this awesome conversation the two of you have been having about maybe President Harris. We'll see. But we got we to gotta end this show. I want to I thank Brian Wildridge, our producer, who makes the uh, show happen every week. But uh, we got to go. Again, we're Citizen Action. Thanks for listening to the Battleground, uh, Battleground Wisconsin. We'll see you next week.